Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Hello everyone, my name is Grace and I'm the community manager here at the StoryCraft Cafe. If you have not already joined us in the cafe, I would like to personally invite you to our community. We have so many awesome things going on this month. We have totally revamped our writing group program to include a writing group marketplace where you can browse open writing groups or decide to create your own. At the beginning of the month, we launched the 500 Club, which is an exclusive accountability group that challenges you to write 500 words a day over a two week or a month long commitment. Finally, this month we launched weekly communal word sprints that are open to all crafters. As of this moment, we have four sprints happening per week and we are ranking out words. If you're interested in joining our community, you can find us online at storycraft.cafe. That's S-T-O-R-Y-C-R-A-F-T dot C-A-F-E. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to this edition of the Storycraft Cafe. Boy, do we have a fantastic show for you today. If you've not gone over to storycraft.cafe, joined the community, and looked at all of the amazing live events that are coming up, you need to go do that. Today's audio is from a live event that we had earlier this week with the one and only J.T. Ellison, New York Times bestselling author. She writes thrillers and mysteries and also some urban fantasy. And we had a great conversation today about character development, how she makes characters and what she does to bring them alive. A really great conversation. Before we get over to that conversation with JT, though, let's hear from David Bell. Tackle that age-old argument, pantsing versus plotting. Well, I think we have all, again, there are lots and lots of successful writers who just wing it. I think we have all read books in which we get near the end and the author pulls something out of thin air seemingly or something happens and we and it feels like the record skips a little bit and we say well where did that come from where did that revelation come from and I'm sure we've had the opposite feeling where we've read a book that feels regimented and feels very planned and a little lifeless and and it feels as though well this there's not much much energy and spark on the page and maybe that person overplanned. I think either one can happen um I think the ideal situation, this is what happens with me. The ideal situation is that a writer has a a plan for what's going to happen and they know what the book is about and they know where it's going to go. But along the way, some surprises crop up. Characters do things in surprising ways or some idea pops into a writer's head and they say, well, wait, wait a minute, maybe maybe they could go to this place or maybe this character could show up here. I think that's probably the ideal that it that it that keeps writers on track a little bit, but there's still some surprise that happens along the way. Um, I can't imagine having no plan. I can't imagine just saying I'm going to set out and write 
a hundred thousand words and I have no idea where it's going to go. That would terrify me. Um, but maybe I'm not as brave and carefree as other people. I don't know. Well, thanks for joining us in the Storycraft Cafe today. I am super excited to have JT Ellison with me. JT is one of those folks that I have met over the years in podcasting about books and um, just one of my favorite people to talk to about writing and story craft. And yeah, you know, when we uh, when we started looking at um, it, starting this writer's community, I knew that JT was one of those people that we had to get on. And uh, thank you for joining me today, JT. That is so sweet. Thank you. I, I always love sitting down to chat. Absolutely. It's so much fun. Yeah, and we've had some great conversations in the past. So um, before we before we jump into, um, you know, this great discussion on character that we're going to today, what do you have coming up? Um, what What's coming up on your on your calendar? So it's it's funny because it's probably the most character driven story that I've ever <laughs> done. So this is this is actually perfect for it. Um, it's called It's One of Us and it will be out in February. It's a big standalone um, about a couple, an infertile couple who find out that the son that he had through a sperm donation years earlier is the suspect in a murder. Ooh, don't yeah. you love it? Don't you love it? Yeah. Um, just for those of you who uh, are just joining us, J.T. Ellison is the New York Times and USA Today bestselling author of more than 25 novels and the Emmy Award winning co-host of the literary TV show A Word on Words. She also writes urban fantasy under the pen name Joss Walker. With millions of books in print, her work has won critical acclaim, prestigious awards, been optioned for television and been published in 28 countries. That That's, that's unreal. <laughs> that's a good couple of years. <laughs> JT lives in Nashville with her husband and twin kitties, where she is hard at work on her next novel, We Know You Are. Um, JT, a question that I have had burning inside me is, what is the best Nashville hot chicken? Oh, well, Prince's. You got to go, okay. go to the source. Okay. Go to the source. All, all the rest of them are good, but, you know. <laughs> And you got to do it at three in the morning with a bunch of cops. Right. That's, right. The, that's truly, that's how I experienced it for the that's, first time. <laughs> my first overnight ride along with a bunch of patrol cops and, and we had had quite an evening and they took me to Prince's and they were like, all right, well, this is what we do on our break. <laughs> <laughs> we eat hot chicken after we've dealt with murder. Okay. You know, it was, it was a, it was an evening. Makes perfect sense. That mm -hmm. that is a character driven. Uh, it, that that's yeah, ripe right. for character development, right there. Right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, over the the last uh, few years, your work has has morphed a little bit as as you have kind of drilled down and 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 found a a real sweet spot in writing uh, thrillers and standalone thrillers, uh, especially. You you mm -hmm. began your uh, your your work as you know writing a series and you have kind of found a, a spot that is that's working really well for you um could you talk just a little bit about that the the morphing that your work has gone through as you've kind of found the spot that you're most comfortable with and and the types of stories that are really resonating with you as a writer sure sure it's you know it's it's really interesting i did start in series and i i wrote a 
a police detective. She was a lieutenant, Taylor Jackson. Um, and I did eight books in that series before I just got bored. I mean, I, mm. she's an amazing character. She was an iconic character. Yes. Which is a lot harder than somebody who, who grows over the course of a book or over the course, course of the series. She's a hero. And heroes don't change, right? They they are who they are. Um, and I had gotten kind of to the end of where where can I take this character anymore? And how many serial killers can Nashville have, right? Um, and then I spun off and wrote her best friend. And now that was a completely different thing because she had tragedy happening in her life that was changing her. And I got a taste for, oh, <laughs> it's a lot more fun to yeah. be able to, to grow somebody over the course of a novel. And I, I'd always planned to write standalones. That was where I was headed. I was going to write 10 series novels, and then I was going to write one big standalone. Um, and I sort of did that with No One Knows. But at the same time, Catherine Coulter hired me to write the Britain, the FBI series with her, right. another series of characters who are relatively iconic. They fall in love over the course of the series, but I mean, they're not, they just don't change. Right. What I have discovered is I really enjoy the stories where the characters change, where they have a growth cycle. And it's, I mean, it's just something I didn't know. You know, I didn't yeah. exactly plot out my career when I sat down to write that first book. Right. right. I mean, things just happen and, yeah. and stories happened and characters happened. But now, now it's much more purposeful. You know, it, it's, I like to write about women finding their power. Okay. And if that's a cop, if that's a housewife, if that's a lawyer, you know, a private event, it doesn't matter who it is. Mm -hmm. Just that exploration of how their lives change over the course of the story. That, that's where I finally found my sweet spot. That's the place. So if you're, if you're talking about a series of books versus a standalone book and in the, you know, the, um, the, the thinking would be that when you're dealing with a series that, that you can have more control over the character development and the character growth because you have a, a much wider broader canvas to work with but there's something to be said about the the confinement the restriction of a single story when you've got 400 pages or 500 pages mm -hmm. to to work with um and then that that opens up new possibilities be, there's something about the the um the boundaries that that offer new I'm I'm lacking the word. I, I keep grasping for the new opportunities um, with with boundaries. Good, how did how did you experience that? See, and I, I'm I'm feeling it the opposite because okay. I thought that writing series gave me a broader canvas because the world's built right, right. and you are shifting your character through the whole story. Mm -hmm. from book to book and it's how they react to the situation that they find themselves in and the standalone would be very confining because you've only got 400 pages and you have to tell the whole right. story yeah it's the exact opposite yeah that, that's that's I, what i'm sensing but i'm shocked to say that too yeah because i i'm writing a taylor book right now i'm eighty-three thousand words into a taylor book and i'm having so much trouble with it mm -hmm. because the world's already built. 
And I mean, how much, so I'm trying to change her because that is now a really exciting thing. And she has changed over the course of the series. And this is, this is the culmination of all of those changes. And I actually realized that today as I was working on it and she was thinking that, you know, how much she has changed. Right. And I was like, huh, that's funny. I'm, <laughs> I'm putting that in there because that's exactly the case. Whereas the standalone, there are no rules. You can do whatever you want. You can go into whatever direction you want. Right. You can change that character. You can bring up something from their past. You can introduce them to somebody new. There's, there's just, it's a lot, there's a lot more freedom. There's a lot more freedom. Does, does reader expectation play into that? You know, when you're dealing with a series, like you said, that the world is built, the rules are in place. Mm -hmm. um, and people know that if they're, if they pick up a book in a series and there ostensibly will be another one next year that, that this character can, can change a certain amount, but there, there are certain things this character can't do right. because we know we have to continue the story. So when, when you're writing that, does the reader expectation of knowing this is a, a safe, comfortable place and it's, it's going to change a little, but not too much. You, you know, d does that play into it? I don't know, because I failed miserably at doing that. <laughs> I wasn't able to do it. I, you yeah. know, it, it's become, this was supposed to be a short story, and then it was supposed to be a novella. And now, you know, it, then it was supposed to be the, the jumping off point for a new series. And and I, I've just, you know, I've kind of failed in my, in my job here of doing that, because once I got into it, I felt so constrained. Yeah. Just so constrained. Plus, you know, I think anybody who's writing police procedurals is is having a, you know, kind of a come to Jesus of, wow, what does this even mean anymore? What right. so things have changed so much in law enforcement over the past few years. Sure. That you really, you know, you can't just blithely go forward and pretend like things are the same. They're not. Right. Um, and that's, you know, uh, I think once I got into that and I was like, wow, you know, everything has to change now. So, yeah. Um, when when you're writing thrillers, uh, you know, you would think that these stories are uh, plot driven, like that there's there's a, a scenario that you have dreamt up. Uh, but your books are very much character books and mm -hmm. they're they're about you. You present a character, you give us reasons to care about that character, and then you do horrible things to that character. And, and <laughs> um, what, what do you think about the the types uh, or the genre that you like to play in and and whether, you know, do, do those things even make sense anymore? You know, you, you think, well, this book is a is a plot driven book or this this category is a character driven and and do those things do those boundaries have to um have to be there or can we um uh, subvert those expectations i think you have to execute both perfectly okay for books to work um if it's a plot driven book it has to have a great plot but you can't have a decent book without a character that you're rooting for you have to have at least one character that the that the reader really connects with and is rooting for. And it's, that's why it's so interesting. We've had this huge uh, group of books that came out with unreliable narrators. And, and yes. the readers are like, I'm tired of this. I can't connect with any of these characters. I want people I can connect with. Um, when you can only write Gone Girl so many times. 
You can only, yes. I mean, the domestic suspense novel has to morph into something else or we're going to lose the readers, I think. Yeah. You know, if you look at the, at the New York Times list, it's rom-coms. And what is that? That's personality driven, right? Exactly. That's characters who, you know, enemies to lovers and they're, they're really experiencing a lot of growth cycles in those stories and everything. There's some of my favorite that enemies to lovers is my favorite trope ever. <laughs> I, just, I love it. But I think, I think readers are really wanting their tired. Now I shouldn't put words in readers mouths. Readers are smart. They know what they like, but sure. I think the kitchen sink twist is maybe becoming a little passe. Yeah. Because once you've conditioned the reader for a twist, if you have a book, that's not that kind of book and they don't realize that then they're disappointed. Right. So uh, I think it's absolutely vital if you're still writing in these twisty areas, you've got to have characters that the readers just want to champion, that they don't want to put down the book because they want to see what they're going to do next. That is that's, I think, true of every genre um, from literary to horror. You need a character that you love and you want to root for and you want to find out more about them. Well, and you run the risk of readers becoming cynical uh, because they're always, you know, thinking two pages ahead of sure. the story you're telling, looking for how you're going to fool them. Right. And, and it, it, it becomes a, an exercise in futility that, you know, this is no longer fun. This is me trying to figure out how JT is going to try to pull the wool over my eyes next. Right. And, and JT's back there <laughs> in her office going, um, oh, my God, how am I going to pull the wool over their eyes? You know. Right. And just, JT's popping, uh, you know, uh, ulcer medication. Yeah, I'm Xanax <laughs> trying to figure out how I'm going to pull this off. Yeah, it, it kind of, it, you lose your storytelling then when it's all about the twist, when it's all about, you know, how are we going to shock the reader today? And, and you know, if you can slide something in, great. But I stopped, I tried to move away from that a while ago. I did yeah. my big twist book. Um, I've done a couple of big twist books, but I, I really am more interested in the nuance of how the story unfolds organically and letting something happen rather than cooking something up that I try to write to. Right, right. Um, I want to ask you in just a moment about um, making characters likable. But before I do, we're getting some comments uh, in the in the YouTube uh chat here about your bookshelf behind you and how everyone is loving your (laughs) color-coordinated bookshelves. (laughs) That's fantastic. It's right in my office all year long. (laughs) Is is that uh, uh, just um, when you're avoiding writing, is that uh, what you're busy doing? Oh my goodness, look at that. Yeah. That's fantastic. I'm I'm panning around a little bit. That's fantastic. We, we moved during the pandemic and I uh, I got very, very lucky with an office. This is, I guess, a parlor probably in the, in the house, but it's got this incredibly high ceiling. We've got a, you know, kind of the peak ceiling. Right. And so I was able to go up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine shelves on the sides. And then in this back wall, I can actually go up another couple of shelves. So I was like, that's it. I'm putting in a library ladder and it's going to be, you know, me as Belle swinging across my office. It's going to be great. 
Um, so so envious of your library ladder. That is fantastic. <laughs> I like great. it. I actually moved all of my TBR off of it. So now it's just got some galleys and my the next two books I want to read. So I'm trying to control my, my um, <laughs> it, it gets stacked full of books. And then when I have to put something away or get it down, I, I have to move everything. So the, the, right. the, old, the old saying, never judge a book by its cover, um, right. that, that's kind of gone out the window, right? I mean, right. You, you literally have organized your office by book covers. By book covers. And, and it's, <laughs> it's really fun. I know where most of them are, you know, and yeah. I, but I have, no, I have been known to, to text somebody and say, hey, what color is the spine of Helen's new book? I can't find it. <laughs> it's I kind of like it. my own little chaos, right? It's my own yeah. version of chaos right here in my office. You know, I've got I've got nonfiction over here and the fictions behind me and then on the, the top because the white I couldn't keep on going. And, you know, I do. I have an idea of where things are, but I get surprised all the time. And it's so much fun to, you know, walk up to the shelf and be like, oh, my gosh, I forgot all about that. <laughs> well, it's chaos that you can control, though. You're in control of my own. It's my own chaos. Yes. yes. My own you, you are the god of your your book walls. That's yes. fantastic. I am the master of my domain. Yes, yes. So um, a, a year or two ago, we talked about a book uh, that you had written, Good Girls Lie. Mm -hmm. And um, I love this book because it uh, it had a bunch of characters that that I normally probably wouldn't like. Um, but you you made a way for me to enter a world that I would never walk into and find something and some people that I care about. Um, what is it about taking characters that uh, are that, that most people can't connect with, but finding ways for us to care about them and then want to go on a journey with them? It's, it's about their vulnerability, right? Yeah. And when you find somebody's vulnerability, you have usually an echo of something in yourself. And that's, that's it, right? You connect. Right. Oh, okay. You know, uh, I've got, I've got an orphan who is shipped off to, from, from England to America to go to an all girls boarding college. And, you know, it's not necessarily the path that she would have chosen and, and she has to make the best of it. And I, you know, every book, every book, I, I have some sort of theme that I'm exploring. And in this one, it was bullying, right? I wanted someone to go from the most popular girl in school to the most reviled. Because mm. I think that's something that we can all connect with. I think right. you know, especially, especially the literary community. I, I don't know that a lot of us were, you know, the the big man on campus cheerleader, right. football captains. Yeah, I think we were all a little bit nerdy, right? Yeah. And I certainly think that we've all been on the receiving end of somebody who's trying to make our life hell. Yeah. You know, regardless, regardless of whether we were a nerd or not, we always, everybody's got that person in their life that just tried to make them feel small. Right. And everybody can connect with that. So that's, that's very much what that story is. Got to talk about a twist. <laughs> yeah, I've ever written that I knew the end. Do, do you typically know how the story is going to end when you begin writing it or is it a, a discovery of learning the characters and then going along yeah. with them as they kind of discover things? Um, uh, so I'm, I'm assuming that you are not uh, a detailed plotter. 
from the beginning? No, no, I'm not. a. I, I used to not plot at all. Now I've discovered there is value in, in having an idea of where the story is going to go. So I do um, it's 40 scenes. So if it's a, if it's a novel, if, if I have 40 scenes and uh, I know, you know, that I can write down and it's not like a big treatment, it's, you sure. know, Olivia is walking down the beach, Olivia and Park are having a fight. It's real simple stuff. But if I have 40 of those, then I know I've got 40 scenes times 2000 words. That's 80,000 words of a novel right. there. I usually will write up the 40 scenes and then I'll start writing and I will <laughs> go back and look at the 40 scenes. <laughs> you know, I'll have the big ones will stick in my head. Yeah. Uh, once I start writing, I'll realize that, you know, five entries are the same scene. You know, it just, yeah. it just morphs. But I don't like to know the end. I, I If I'm not going on a journey, I get bored. And I, if I know what's happening, I might telegraph it to you. Yeah. Uh, I've been known to change endings, you know, finish a book, come back and be like, no, that's not right. I, you know, I got to change this. I got to, you know, add an epilogue or, you know, whatever. Um, but it really, that's a great little outlining tool. I just did it with a short story. I was like, all right, it needs to be 10,000 words. I'll do 10 scenes at a thousand words a pop and man, boom. It went, it went really, really well. So I, uh, you know, <laughs> outlining is, it's a smart thing to do. I have friends that literally, I mean, they build the entire skeleton. You, yeah, you me all too. All they're doing when they sit down to write is putting some clothes on it. Right. Exactly. And I'm, I'm not like that. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a head bone and a leg bone and a pelvis. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, I'm that way a lot. Um, I, uh, I will sketch out some uh, some guideposts along the way, but I I need to write a chapter or two first to kind of discover who the characters are and sure. to get a feeling. And sometimes, it, yeah, and sometimes they wind up being very different characters a couple of chapters in than I originally thought they were, and they just kind of develop a voice uh, of their own. Mm-hmm. Um, what what kind of process do you go through to discover your characters? Um, you know, it depends on how they're coming to me. So, um, in this new book, it's one of us that's coming out. Olivia, uh, I'd been waiting 10 years for her. And when she finally showed up, I, I knew it. And I was like, yep, there she is. Um, she was walking down a beach. She was very sad. She had her, her arms wrapped around her and she was experiencing some sort of traumatic grief and loss. Mm. And I, I didn't get to write that scene until the very end of the book, which it sat there with me this whole time. And I knew that's where I was going with this woman. I knew what, I knew what she was experiencing and I knew where it was going. Um, in, in her dark lies, Claire, I couldn't even figure out her name. She had four different names. (laughs) I knew she, I knew I wanted her to be kind of the me of old who, you know, I'm kind of a a, a elderly punk rocker now. Um, (laughs) When I first moved to Nashville, you know, I've got, I've got some tattoos. I had some piercings, you know, I had colors in my hair and stuff. And and 
I didn't really fit in, especially with the junior league crowd that I was trying to fit in with. And so I took out the piercings and I started covering up the tattoos and I got rid of the funky colors in the hair and, and all of that. Right. And I tried to change myself for these people and it didn't work. Of course not. You know, right. you be yourself. People won't like you if you're not yourself anyway. Right. Um, so I've gone back and, and re-embraced all of all of my <laughs> my childhood punk rock girl stuff. But I wanted her to go through that experience. Yeah. And while I was doing, I just couldn't connect with her. And she wouldn't connect with me. She wouldn't even tell me her name. I mean, I wrote seven drafts of that story before she finally admitted to me that her name was Claire. She was, she had all these cool, I like boy names for girls. So she had all these cool names and not a single one of them worked. She wanted to be this quiet girl. She wanted to be that person. And I was trying to force her into a persona that she wasn't comfortable with. And when I, when I finally realized, wow, her name is Claire. She's not a Logan. She's not a Harper. She's not um, a Reagan. You know, she's, she's, right. she's just Claire. Yeah. And then she, all, she came together for me. So naming is hugely important for me. Uh, that, that drives who the characters are 100%. Yeah, I've never thought about that, but now that I think about it, I can't uh I can't really connect with a character until I've named them and mm-hmm. given it it really does become part of the personality. Yeah. Um so do you, you know, and 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 let's just be honest, writing is the only uh profession where you can talk about how make believe characters <laughs> will or won't, you know, allow you to, you know, that you know, that's we have one of the best, you know, jobs it's in the world. Psychosis. It's all in. Exactly. Exactly. Um, do you do you have a system of, uh, you know, when when you're discovering a character, do you sketch them out? Do you do you write down details about them? Do you, um, you know, do, do, do you make character sketches? Um, you know, some people will you know, that his favorite color is blue and he loves to listen to black flag and, um, you know, his hair is purple and orange. And, you know, they're like, they go very detailed about, um, about them. Are are you that kind of person or just, just as you write, do they just kind of inhabit your head? They, it depends. I mean, some of them just parade off the page immediately and you don't even have to do that. Some of them, you know, you like do an interview. I need to know. I mean, there are things I need to know. I need, I need to know, you know, what, what your life was like. I need to know, you know, do you have parents? Do you love your parents? Do you have fights with your parents? Are you straight? Are you gay? Are you bi? What are, you know, what are you, who, what defined you? What label would you like to put on yourself? Um, how would you describe yourself to a group of people that you had never met? I'll just superficial things. What do you look like? What does your hair look like? What color is your skin? All of that. And then, then you get into the deep stuff, right? So once you've identified who this person is and where they fit in the world, then you get into, you know, I, cause I think music is a great way to find out, you know, what kind of music do you like? What kind of books do you read? Right. Who are your friends? Who are the people? Who would you call if you, you know, went to jail? Who would be the first person you got in touch with? You know, do you have a sister? Do you have a best friend? How do you interact with the world that you are being forced into <laughs> from my brain? Right. Um, 
And that's, that's, you know, but so, and sometimes all of those answers just come as I'm writing a character and I'm like, oh, you know, it's so-and-so and here they are. And they're, they're just alive for me. And sometimes I do have to sit down, literally just interview them and try to get them to tell me who they are. Usually if they're doing that, they're probably not right for the story. There's something about them that's not right for the story. And so instead of pushing them in, I'll, I'll just leave, you know, I'll, I'll just leave them out and put them over here. Yeah. Greg Rucka, who is um, an absolutely brilliant comic book writer and thriller writer. He did a post once that he showed, you know, I think in story of, you know, this is this story idea, this story, he thinks in characters. And, and that was a really good lesson to me, actually, of if you're going to be setting up, you know, mind dumps of this, these are all the characters that are living in my head. I was doing it as these are all the stories living in my head. He does it with the characters. And so I started trying that and it was like, oh, wow. So you can see this person goes to this, this person goes to this, this person, the Taylor world, this person needs their own novel. You know, it's, it's really kind of all over the place. Yeah. Um, when, when people are, are, uh, learning to, uh, to write characters, one of the things that, that they invariably do is uh, they want a, a main protagonist to, um, to be likable by the readers. And, and one mistake that, that a lot of people, uh, go through is they, they think that, that this character has to be perfect for people to, to uh, connect with them and and to want to root for them. Mm-hmm. And maybe social media plays, you know, into that some because we all have to be perfect on Instagram and and all of that stuff. And so we think that the people that we read need to be perfect and, and perfectly presentable. Um, but those are not the characters that we typically really care for. We want them to be human. Um, so how do you... Um, how do you give a character enough flaws so that they are human and relatable, um, but not so much so that they're just despicable and and it turns you off? Right. Um, do, do you have you ever had a character that just was right on that line and 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 you had to play with dialing them back a little bit or or oh, sure. <laughs> you know? But like, could could you talk about walking that line with humanity versus just being despicable? So it's, it's kind of interesting. The very first book I ever wrote with it, it was a Taylor novel and something was incredibly flat about this character. And, you know, the story was cool. The, the setting was neat. It was Nashville. It was all this cool stuff, but there was something about her that just, I couldn't connect with her. She was too perfect. She was too pretty. She was too honorable. She was too good. She just, you know, there, there just wasn't any, anything there to hang that on. And I, I actually talked to, um, an English professor of mine from, from school. I asked her about it and she said, well, she has to have a flaw. I'm like, all right, well, that's great. What can her flaw be? So I made her a smoker who was trying to quit smoking. And I, I, at the time was smoking and trying to quit smoking. So it, it was very, it was very perfect. Um, this is in my, you know, early thirties and she was in her early thirties. So I, I was able to connect with her on that level of frustration. Yeah. And I think that kind of opened the door for, oh, okay, this is, that's who this person is. And now I can get inside 
She also has a broken nose. You know, she's gorgeous, but her nose is broken. So she's perfect. And, you know, just and and she used to get in trouble with the cops when she was a kid before she grew up to be a kid. That's how she ends up on the force. You know, these. So you can see I'm just peeling back these tiny little layers here and there. And the next thing you know, it's like, oh, now I've got a fully formed fleshed out character. And that's what you have to do. I mean, you, you, you start with who they are and then you give them one flaw and then you, you know, you pull them back. Conversely, you have a villain, a terrible person that nobody can possibly root for, right? How in the world is it that we listen to Hannibal Lecter and want to hear more? Right. right. There's something, right. you know, you you can have the most horrific character in the world, but if you give them something that they're giving to the audience, that's interesting. So uh, it, my absolute worst serial killer of all of my serial killers. I mean, some of them are just so over the top. Some of my killers just, you know, <laughs> villains in general, I shouldn't say killers, villains in general can be over the top. The one who creeps me out the most is the one that hurries home from the crime scene to feed his cat. Mm, right? Right. The most human of all of them. He's the most hideous of all of them. And he's the most human. And that's probably what makes him so scary to me. You know, he's yeah. not this over the top wahaha kind of kind of villain. He right. is, he is absolutely a you know, he's doing what he's doing. He's compelled to do so. You know, when, when I realized he was coming home to take care of his cat, I had to really examine who is this guy? What right. is he up to? Why? Why does he care so deeply about the cat? That's bizarre. And it, man, it really gave me a window into making him even creepier and even more compelling. So it's, I think it's very important that you you just find that thing about your character that people are going to be able to resonate that they're going to identify with. Everybody can understand, Oh, I've got to hurry home and feed the cat. Just some of us are coming from a murder and some of us are coming from work. Yeah. The the idea of someone coming home to feed their cat after doing horrific things that, that makes, uh, that makes you question your own neighbors. (laughs) Oh, sure. Are they serial killers? Oh my gosh. My that's my job. I have an overactive imagination and I'm consistently looking out my window at the neighbors. Yeah, I I had uh, uh, before we moved, somebody came to the house in the middle of the of the day to the house next door, and and I'm looking at him like that's a hitman. Right. That is is a hitman. (laughs) Why is he coming their house? You know, just (laughs) oh man. Let's uh let's take a question from the uh from from YouTube. Eileen says, I'm writing a series. It's supposed to question what makes someone good or bad. My MC is gonna do some bad stuff, but during the bad stuff, how do you make sure your readers stick along for the ride? How how do you how do you keep from turning off readers? I, I think is what she's asking. I think that's an excellent question. And you have to yeah examine the morality structure of your story. Um, That's, it's really funny. It's one of the things I'm doing with this Taylor book. She is possibly the most moral character you will ever come across. And it's in her immorality that she is so challenged and so upset. And so, you know, that that's just not who she is. She is, she is the white hat (laughs) 
what is she doing, doing black hat things, you know? And so that's, whether it's a cop or whether it's, it's a housewife who is, you know, doing something nasty to a friend, you just need to make sure you understand where on the moral gray scale you are comfortable and keep them in that spot. If they do something so out of character, like, you know, if you have a, a really good person who, you know, just out of the blue goes out one night and murders someone that doesn't, that, that's not going to hold up. Right. Yeah. There has to be reasons for it. There has to be justifications, not necessarily in the world, but the character has to be able to justify to themselves what they're doing. Sure. Um, and it probably also depends on um, some of the rules for your novel that you've set up and, and how much you decide to show uh, as as opposed to how much you want to keep off the page and allude to. And and maybe that just kind of depends on the relationship that you've built with your with your readers already. Yeah, maybe. for sure. Um, the uh, Grace said uh, in in the uh, Storycraft Cafe, I recently have been thinking a lot about dialogue and how to reflect character development in dialogue so that the dialogue for each character is uniquely and distinctly in their voice. I've been thinking about it so much because it's hard and I would love some advice. Um, wh what about developing a uh, character's voice and how much of that voice reflects um, you know, their growth and 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 how much of the of the the story uh, do you reflect in? What role does dialogue play? All of it. Oh. I mean, seriously, dialogue yeah. makes or breaks the story. Uh, you have to be very careful to. I mean, dialogue is how people speak, right? You can't write grammatically correct sentences for how people speak. So if you're having trouble identifying, you know, how that plays into your story, I highly suggest just go to a coffee shop and, and over listen, eavesdrop on people and hear what they say and how they say it. Um, I would read dialogue heavy books as well. Um, if you want thrillers that are dialogue heavy, Catherine Coulter, my RFBI series, um, because I write more internally. I have a lot of exposition, a lot of description. My dialogue is very impactful when it comes, right? It, it's definitely there to drive the story forward. Right. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, instead of having pages of backstory, a conversation between my characters is going to give you all the things that you need to know, right? It's yeah. very important. A, a, another great example, gosh, Book Lovers by M Emily Henry. I just finished that last night. Heavy banter. Banter is a really, really great way to see how you tell a story in dialogue. Um, so I would highly recommend, you know, picking up some of the, the fun rom-coms. Go watch some of the rom-com movies and see how they do it. I mean, then you you go to the other side of the fence. You've got like John Wick, right? Right. Not a lot of dialogue going on. <laughs> but you know, everything that's happening, the story is being propelled forward. There's nothing wasted. There's nothing, you know. Uh, so, so you just have to, it's something you just have to work on. It is not something easy. It, it, dialogue was my biggest problem when I started. And my husband told me, he goes, people don't talk like that. Go, go write how people talk. 
Right. And, you know, they they cut each other off. They interrupt. They they drop things. They they are not clear in what they are saying. You right. know, misinterpret what you say all the time. Tonally, they aren't there. You know, those are all the things you need to think about for sure. Yeah. Um, you you have um, started writing uh, some urban fantasy as well, mm-hmm. and you've got a, a new trilogy that uh, that is out. Um, how does writing um, a different genre affect the uh, the types of characters? And, and urban fantasy is is a little different than uh, like high fantasy or epic fantasy in that um, a lot of the because it's urban fantasy, a lot of it is present day and and present. Um, uh, society. Right. So, right. so a, a lot of the, the tone is, is very similar to a thriller, uh, you know, characters are modern characters, you know, across the board. Um, but does, does that different genre affect the types of characters that you come up with or the way they behave? It's, you know, it's really, God, I love, I love doing the fantasy. It's so much fun because there are no rules. Um, uh, you know, yes, it's urban fantasy, so it's real life. Right. But with magic. But with magic, right? You can't right. spend, you know, you can't just suddenly, well, you can, you can do whatever the heck you want because it's magic. Magic, right. So it is, it's kind of a breath of fresh air to create those characters with their abilities and and watch them grow as they're going on. Um, it, it's just it's just so much fun. The there's going to be six books in that series with eight short stories, and then we've got a spinoff that we're th- so there's there's a Love whole it. world that we're building, right? And and that you have to think that through much differently than you do with a real life story, with a thriller or or a romance or anything. You, you have to be looking at how the discoveries of magic change the moral structure of the story. You you know, it's the exact opposite really of, of what you're doing with a thriller where you're confined by the moral structure that you build here in the fantasy world. It's like, all right, well, that's how that works. But now I'm going to be able to circumvent that by, you know, doing the spell or, or finding the book, the grimoire and, and, and that's, it's very fun. It's a very fun challenge and, and it just keeps everything fresh. And my character is a, a librarian. She's a smart ass. She is, um, uh, you know, just really into pop culture. She loves movies. She's constantly quoting and quipping and she's just a blast, right? It's just, I wanted something lighter and happier. And, you know, she's still dealing with dark themes, right. but she's doing it in a, in a much lighter way. And, and that's, you know, definitely if you're having, if you're struggling in one genre, try writing the story in a different genre. You know, if you're writing a dark thriller and it's not working because your dialogue's not there, write that as an enemies to lovers, just take that chapter that you're, that you're struggling with and introduce those characters together. And somehow from the beginning of the chapter, the end, they have to find some common ground. Um, it's, it's, it is. Plus you get to make up words. (laughs) You get to make up words in fantasy where you don't get to do that in the real world. Right. Right. Well, and, and that's why I, um, I advocate for for reading more genres than than you typically will because there there's 
there's always something you can learn from the rom-com writers, from the urban fantasy writers. And there's 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 something you can bring in that will make your story stand head and shoulders above the rest. And, you know, it's not true. Yeah. That, and, I mean, that's what I, when I'm stuck in my real world stuff, I read fantasy because just the, just the knowledge that we set up rules for ourselves that don't necessarily exist. We just, right. we, we always give ourselves constraints that maybe we don't need. Yeah. And, and that reminds me of, okay, you're, you're getting lost in what you think needs to happen. Just let it happen. Yeah. See what, see what happens if you let it go. Right. Um, Chet asks uh, from the Storycraft Cafe, I'd like to get perspective on different approaches to character from the discover who they are as I write side of the spectrum to the I know the last time they ate blueberry pie and what their favorite ice cream topping is side of character planning. We touched on this a little bit earlier, but is is there ever a time where um, you you just strictly write a character and discover them? Uh, as opposed to the kind of cataloging all the things that you know about the the character is, are there particular times where one works and one doesn't? The former is my preferred method, right? I I would so much rather sit down, have somebody's voice come out. and, And a lot of that has to do with what point of view you're, you're picking and, you know, whether it's first person, third person, are you going to be in present tense, past tense, all of that, right? That's very important to the story. But I much prefer the, the stories where I sit down with the character and they just come out, right? And I right. don't know, you know, that I'm not thinking, oh, they, they eat blueberries for breakfast. Um, they'll share the, the good hack on that is just let them share your own biographical details, Right. Taylor Jackson is six feet tall, blonde, a former debutante. You know, that's I gave her she's a Taurus. She, you know, all the things she spoke, all the things that I had, I gave to her because it just made it more relatable for me to get her off the ground. So never, you know, never be shy about they don't have to be this wildly esoteric person. I mean, 90% of the people you know are not wildly esoteric people. They're just right, right folks. They, you know, they're, they're trying to do, do right in the world. They're trying to be happy. They're trying to, you know, raise a family and, and be a good person, you know? Yeah. So, so you don't really have to do more than that to start. You've got the person who is trying to function well in society and the person who's not right. and the person who never could. Right. You know, there's three different ones right there that, that are very, very interesting different kinds of characters that could make it into your story. Loris asks, I have a question. I have a character who will appear broken at the start of a story with a quiet and aggressive personality. By the end of the story, I want that character to find themselves a more outgoing and calm personality. Any on any advice on how I could develop well, such a transition. It's what the story does to them. It's what that so so that's an example of your character is going to be changed by the plot. I I would think that whatever the story is, they're going to change that person over the course of that story. The things that happen in the story are what change them. 
And that's, you know, that that's the kind of growth. It sounds like they've got a chip on their shoulder or they've got walls up or something has happened to them in their past where they, you know, they keep people at, at bay, you know, stay away from me. They're very prickly. And maybe they meet somebody who shows them, you know, a little bit of trust and a little bit of grace and they give themselves that grace in turn and become a little bit softer towards the end of the story. And that's a great example of plot uh, being secondary to character, but being very important to character. Mm -hmm. Like it's not character or plot. It's uh, which one serves which purpose where, I guess. Yeah, for sure. You can't have one without the other. And, and if you are trying to change a character over the course of it, then it's what happens in that story that, you know, somebody hates dogs. Right. And. Right. The course of the story, somebody dumps a puppy on their step and they have to come to terms with the fact that, you know, they have to take care of this thing. And you know, are they just going to go take it to the to the pound or are they going to, you know, care for it? And the next thing you know, they're in love with the dog. It's <laughs> really simple. It's not it's, this is not complicated stuff. Yeah. Um, as a writer with with 20 some odd books uh, under her belt, uh, what is, what's your daily writing life look like? It, it changes depending on what I'm doing and which which thing that I'm working on. I sh I've always, always tried to do a thousand words a day. And sometimes that works, sometimes that doesn't. Um, I'm in the middle of the, or for, at the beginning, I guess, of the thousand words of summer challenge where you write a thousand words a day for 14 days and publicly accountable. Um, that's always great. I just came off, somebody hates dogs is the most fictional thing JT has said so far. <laughs> I to throw that out from Doug. That's <laughs> um, the the um, so I, I I try to write in the morning. I try to be at my desk like creative at ten. Yeah. I'm not a morning person at all. It takes me it takes me a little while to ease into. I I am so jealous of folks like Lisa Unger who you know get up at five in the morning and write from five to seven and then their day begins and I'm like oh <laughs> I get my best creative work usually between three and five in the afternoon. That's where I hit my, my sweet spot. So I try to write in the morning. If I've got 500 words before noon, it's going to be a good day. And then, you know, I plug in again in the afternoon, you know, I write from 10 to 12, have lunch, have a driveway date. If it's sunny, go sit outside and get some vitamin D with my husband. And then, uh, then we have lunch and then go back to work about one, one thirty, depending you know, when we started and then work the rest of the afternoon. And sometimes I'll, depending on how many projects I've got going on at once, I'll, you know, I'll work on Jane books, the fantasy novels in the morning and Taylor or standalones in the afternoon. It just really depends on, on what I'm working on. Um, I just did a short story. Uh, I think I mentioned the 10, the 10 scene, yeah. the short story, and I didn't work on anything else. I just stuck with that and plowed through it. and and that was actually kind of nice only doing one thing at a time. When, when you have two projects going at the same time, do you ever have a character that bleeds over from one to the other? No, no, no. Cause I mean, it's really, um, you know, these characters are like my friends, right? I, it, so would you confuse your, you know, would you right. mix up Laura and Ariel? I mean, no, you know, it, yeah. they, they are, they are so much, so alive for me. So in my head, um, you know, I'll, I'll 
find myself just sitting there going, I wonder what they're doing. <laughs> you know, what are they doing right now? What is she doing right now? You know, especially the fantasy stuff. I was like, what is she up to? What, what right. is she doing right now? She Whose was, life is she wrecking right now? Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's just kind of, it's just kind of weird. We, we are, you know, we joke it's controlled psychosis. We have all these imaginary friends and they, they live in our head and they talk to us and sometimes they're mean and sometimes they're nice. And, you know, if we're lucky, we get to pull pieces of them and put them on the page and have a reader connect with them in some way. It's really, that means the good and the bad. We, we are, we are all of our characters, good and bad. And that's the best when, when, when you get at the end of the day, when you, you know, it's, I created that and the, these, these people live with me and in me. And that's, that's one of the best things ever. Mm-hmm. Um, JT, thank you so much for coming on today and, and talking to. character with us. Um, if, if people are just discovering you and uh, want to dig into all the great stuff that you do, where can they find you online? Uh, my website, jtellison.com, which has a um, a for writers section that you know, some of the stuff might be a tiny bit out of date, but there is a uh, a post on how to build a character that has some pretty basic, you know, step-by-step instruction things. Um, and I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Thriller Chick. I'm not really on Twitter very much, but, you know, I'm on definitely on Instagram a little bit and uh, on Facebook. And you can get to all of that through my website. And I've got a monthly newsletter that has that's a lot of fun. It's got recipes and I give stuff away every month, you know, just that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Well, thank you, JT. We're going to uh, send everyone to see you. And what? What's your next project that's coming out? Uh, I know that you you've got a book coming out next year. Um, anything coming out the end of this year? What, uh, what's the what's going on with the fantasy series? Yeah, the fantasy is coming out July thirty first. I totally that's, yeah, I totally spaced it. So yes, yeah. Master of Shadows is coming out July thirty first, and um, that is the second Jane Thorne CIA librarian novel. Um, it is an absolute blast she has to go to paris these have an international thriller component to them which is really fun so she's going to paris to find her mentor and things go a little awry she gets on the radar of a, another terror organization too <laughs> she has to so much fun. She has to evade um so that's coming out and then i've got a short story coming out um on amazon it's an amazon original that okay. will be out in january called these cold strangers and then the the novel comes out it's one of us comes out the end of february awesome and the taylor book is going to come out somewhere yeah <laughs> in all of that <laughs> I, I'm hoping I, I'm hoping maybe in the fall. It just depends on when I get it done. Yeah, well, keep us posted and uh, and let's let's talk about it when it comes out. Oh, I'd love uh, to. JT Ellison, thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you all for joining us here in the Storycraft Cafe. We'll be back with more. <laughs>